Well, I'd like to take this opportunity to happy Easter. It's great to have you here this morning. Um, after Martin's opening, I really don't have a whole lot left to talk about this morning. I did, I did feel he did an incredible job uh, kind of encapsulating there the Passion Week, uh, everything that Jesus went through prior to going to the cross. But again, I, I do want to take this opportunity to thank you for being here with us this morning. Uh, I especially want to welcome my family, Jacqueline's family here. If we could get you guys to just kind of stand up and get every, wave at everybody. And then, of course, there's my daughter there in the front row, the rebellious one that didn't get up, but that's a whole nother lesson. I'm not even going to bother touching that one today. And again, for the rest of you, I know we've got a lot of families and family and friends here with us today that uh, may not normally be visiting with us. Definitely want to welcome you, and I know I'm not going to make you stand up. So, you know, it's kind of okay to make family feel uncomfortable once in a while, right? Well, I want to start off this morning with a uh, story in... Uh, 1989, in Armenia, there was an 8.1 earthquake. You know, I've got, a, I've got numbers I've got to pay attention to here this morning. Uh, we're projecting from the front, so I'm limited. As an Italian, I feel like I'm in a cage here this morning. But anyways, uh, this earthquake hit. There were 30,000 people that died within a matter of four minutes. You can imagine the, the chaos that came out of that, the... The fire, the smoke, the dust, uh, the rubble everywhere, screams of terror, especially as the aftershocks hit. But in the midst of this, there's the unfailing love of a father. He uh, leaves his workplace, runs to the scene, and as you can imagine, there's chaos. There's people running around screaming, uh, yelling, hollering, wailing. He decides to really jump right into the mix and start making something happen, and he he goes around to the back of the schoolhouse where he knows his son was at and starts going through the rubble. And as he's doing that, time goes on. We're two hours after the quake, four hours after the quake, and some of the other parents are like, you're wasting your time, they're all dead, what are you doing? Four hours turns to eight, turns to 16, turns to 24, at which point the fire department, the firemen that are there on the scene are telling him he needs to leave because it's very dangerous. There's natural gas leaking. The fires are getting out of control. He continues to dig. At which point, the police that are on the scene are trying to clear everybody out because they're, aware, they're worried of some of the surrounding structures going in the aftershocks. And again, the fire and everything else is taking place. The father continues to dig. 36 hours in. On the 38th hour, I thought he heard his son's voice. With that, immediately he screamed, Armand! There was a pause, then came back the words, Dad? His son continues. He says, I told them. I told you that you, I told the other kids, Father, that you would be here. If you were still alive, that you would come for me. You'd save me. You promised me you would always be me, be here for me, Dad. You did it, Dad. So here we see in this situation a determined father. We see a promise that's kept. A stone that was rolled away to, to give his son freedom. And that story of Armand reminds me of the story that we have, the story that Martin gave us a little bit of a preview of this morning. Much more difficult stone that needed to be rolled away than it was. 
the freedom that came through that opportunity as a father in heaven would roll away the stone of the tomb that his son had been put into dead. Much more difficult stone. But with the rolling away of that stone came eternal life. True lasting freedom. Freedom in Christ. And you know what? Our Father in Heaven is doing the same thing today. Still. Rolling away stones. Looking through the rubble and ruin of our own lives. Especially for those of us that have not lived for Christ. For God. He wants to roll away the stone of despair. The rock of remorse. The boulder of bondage and guilt and compromise and complacency and disinterest. Alcoholism. Drug addiction. Damaged marriages, damaged relationships with our kids. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And with God, He made us the greatest promise ever. Just as He kept that very special promise to His own Son some 2,000 years ago. A promise of unfailing love. Now, have any of you ever experienced failing love that's failed? Let's go ahead and see some hands. Look around. Keep them up. Keep them up. You guys are too young to have experienced that yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, I know it can happen at any age. You know, teens, I did have a bag of candy, and I was going to throw it your way from time to time to make sure you were paying attention. Um, there's a little bit of a bits here, and I don't want to put out any eyes this morning. So you can come see me afterwards. I may have some questions for you to make sure you were paying attention before I give you the candy. But anyway, Acts 13, verse 32. And we see this unfailing love in this passage. In Acts 13, verse 32, it reads, And now we are here to bring you this good news. And it is good news, amen? The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today, I've become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. You know, and this is the promise that God has had for us from the very beginning of all time. That's where we're going to start this morning, in the beginning. Clothed in guilt, we're going to be coming out of the book of Genesis. Genesis uh, 3. Verse 7 will be our text this morning. And just thinking back through the creation, we know that God created the heaven and the earth. On the earth, He gave us land, He gave us water, He gave us the skies, He gave us all the animals, He gave us all the things that grow that for us, anybody that uh, likes that vegetarian diet, there's all kinds of things there for us to eat. God provided it all, the air that we breathe. And what an incredible scene in the Garden of Eden. There was a little bit of a problem. Genesis 3, verse 7. Now we know there was a tree. We know that Adam and Eve were given direction when it came to the fruit on a particular tree. Any of the teens tell me what that tree was? Knowledge and wisdom. Wasn't an apple tree. Well, it might have been an apple, I don't know. But it, that isn't what it was referenced as. It was talked about as the, the tree of knowledge and wisdom. And with that, Satan got in the mix. 
kind of threw some things out there to Eve. It's not that big a deal. God didn't really mean what he said. You know, we all can kind of get caught up in that from time to time. Did God really mean that? Well, we can kind of see where this leads. Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sold fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, honestly, how cool would that have been prior to eating the fruit? I mean, to be walking around and then, hey, God, how you doing? I mean, he's walking there in the garden with them. I mean, for me, I, I, can't, even, I can't even get my head around that. It's just so amazing that this is the relationship, this pure, incredible relationship they had with God. But it kind of goes on there. It says, and then they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And continuing, picking up in verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Now, before the disobedience, again, what an incredible scene. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were both naked, not ashamed. You know, and really the, the idea of nakedness goes way beyond nudity. It's a matter of being totally open and exposed as a person before God and man. Now think about this. To be naked and unashamed. What does that mean? No sin. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to hide. No need for pretense. Total, real, true, unfailing love. You know, it's interesting. You ever had a feeling that somebody was staring at you? And then turn around to find out that your feeling was right. You know, how does that make you feel? Uncomfortable. I'm sure there's all kinds of adjectives that can be uh, attributed to that one. But it's interesting. We often feel uncomfortable when someone does stare at us. And I think it's because we associate staring with prying. We don't want people prying. We don't want people looking at us too closely. Looking too closely into our lives. We want to remain hidden. Only to reveal to other people what we want to reveal. You know, is it, is it, any of you been to high school reunions? I keep saying I'm going to go. I think my next one's probably my 35th. I, I, I've missed them all, but, uh, I don't know, I, I'm too lazy to do the math right now. Maybe that's too, too many years. I, I graduated in, uh, graduated in, well, I graduated in 76, but I got out of high school in 75. I had the credits, so I decided to move on. But anyway. Um, high school reunions. What do we usually try to do when we go to a high school reunion? Do we try to undo whatever it was we were and who we looked like in high school? You know, I, I remember talking to a couple of my buddies years ago. You know, and this will date me a little bit too. You know, it was when the Ferrari Testarossa was a big deal. Still one of my favorite Italian cars. But, um, you know, we talked about, well, you know, it'd be kind of cool. They had this exotic car place down in L.A. You know, we could rent one of those, roll up to the... Uh, you know, or high school reunion. Don't tell me you guys have never thought about that. 
You know, you go out and you buy the nice clothes, somebody may go on a diet. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we try to do. Why? Because we're trying to impress someone. Teens, you guys ever experienced that at all? Almost stepped over the line here. No, never? You know, what's high school about today? Image? You know, are you part of the cool group? You know, or is it the jocks, or is it the band, or, you know, and there's... The band's not cool. I, I mean, the band's cool. I was in band. I got a lot of grief about being in band, okay? I'm not even gonna use, I'm not even gonna say the names that I was called. Band blank. You can fill in the blank. But anyway, you know, we, teens as disciples, we've gotta be careful. Because we're we trying to cover up who we really are in Christ so we fit in with everybody else at school. We've gotta be careful with that. You know, so much of our society today is based on the fallen state that we live in to survive. You know, what are you clothed in today? You clothed in Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus or Breitling or Tiffany's or, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What are you clothed in this morning? Beverly Hills plastic surgeon? Salvation Army, Amen. They have some good deals from time to time. I've shopped there. $5 pair of Levi's, man, never worn. They were tagged wrong, and they fit me. But, you know, we, we think about this fallen state that we're in. Honestly, would there be a need for any of this stuff if we were clothed in Christ? But being clothed in guilt, that's what can happen. We focus on the wrong things, and that's the image that we begin to try to portray you know, maybe for you it's not the outside images, but maybe it's what's inside. The image of a, a perfect family when it's not a perfect family, or perfect kids when they're not perfect kids, because there's no perfect parents, so they can't be perfect kids. Amen? That's just kind of how it works. You know, I, I remember just the whole image thing. Even even as I had, was studying the Bible, uh, we had this mutual friend, and my wife had a Mustang LX. It had kind of the cheesy wheels on it. And uh, there was this guy that approached me and, and said, hey, dude, you know, uh, those five-spoke Fittipaldi's that you want? I, I didn't even get a response. Or, uh, is Fittipaldi even around anymore? I mean, these were the happening wheels back in the day, okay? You know, they had the nice Firestone extra-wide tires on them. And uh, he's like, dude, I, I can hook you up for 150 bucks." Now, mind you, one rim was about 550 bucks. You throw the tire on that, it was probably close to... set of wheels for 150 bucks. And this was kind of happening as I was studying the Bible, and I just remember being totally torn over this, and that 150 bucks. Whoops. There goes those hands again. I'll put it down. But I remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to really become a Christian here, this doesn't really fly, because I know he's going down to Dixon Ford in Pomona, and he's got a jack, and he's going to jack the wheels for me. But, you know, that, even that whole situation there, all that was was about image. None of this feeling was present with Adam and Eve when they were naked. They were unashamed prior to the fall. No guilt, no concern about how they would be perceived, no pretense. You know, and God demonstrates His unfailing love throughout the Scriptures. That's what I love about the Bible. He demonstrates that love for those who have faith in Him. But that faith has to go hand-in-hand with obedience to Him. 
And just to kind of give you a brief overview, these are some of the things that foreshadow what we have today in Christ. Noah, God showed him his unfailing love, and then he delivered him and cleansed the, the world at that point in time through the flood. Abraham received the promise from God by being faithful to God and obeying God that all nations would be blessed through him. Isaiah, we know that in the book of Isaiah, in particular chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, that what is it that separates us from God? Sin separates us from God. And that sin is one of the things that proliferates us being clothed in guilt. But God provided a cure. If you'll look on with me here in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4 through 10, I'll give you a minute to get there. Not probably one of your most highly used books of the Bible. There's some very good stuff in here, though. It's an incredible prophecy of Christ. In verse 4 it says, The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men, symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone that I've set in front of Joshua? There are the seven eyes on the one stone that I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and his fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. You know, it's incredible. In this passage, we get a glimpse of the unfailing love of God. We know the Israelites throughout time, sometimes they were on, sometimes they were off. There were times of incredible disobedience, not paying attention, listening to God. And during those situations, God was still there trying to move them in the right direction so they'd have this unfailing love, this incredible relationship with Him. But they failed to obey. What we see here is a foreshadowing of what was to come through Jesus Christ. The branch that's talked about in this passage is referencing Jesus In verse 7, towards the end of verse 7, it says the rewards that were promised here, it was for those who would have the opportunity to stand in God's presence, but it was based on the conditions of obedience to God. If Joshua and the people walked in the ways of the Lord and respected God's requirements, they would receive what was promised. In verse 8, we see the reference to Jesus Christ, the branch of David, which means a descendant of David, as a descendant of the royal line of King David, Christ would come ultimately to establish his kingdom on earth. And then we see, too, in verse 9 there, talking about Jesus again, removing sin from the land in a single day. This is startling revelation here. And we know that Christ fulfilled that prophecy at his crucifixion, the moment of his death. At that moment, the sin of the entire world was paid for through Christ's perfect sacrifice. And we know the reason that Jesus was able to rise from the dead is Jesus remained sinless. We know in Romans 6 it talks about how the wage of sin is death. Jesus didn't have to pay that debt. 
for himself. But he was willing to pay it for us. By being sinless himself, he was able to rise from the dead. Romans 6, verses 20 through 23, it talks about him offering himself to pay that penalty for the sin of all people, for all of us. And again, knowing that that penalty for sin is death. So we see Christ the Messiah in this passage too. It talks about how we bring peace, security, rest, and prosperity to the earth. In verse 10. You know, this is what the Messiah's kingdom will be like. It talks about the image of people sitting around with their neighbors under the vine and fig tree. And what we've got is a scene of perfect peace and serenity and security and joy and hope through Christ. This is what comes through Jesus. So how do we ultimately get rid of these filthy clothes that are being talked about here in the book of Zechariah? The conversation with Joshua. Well, what we have to do is we have to have the humility to take off those filthy clothes and be clothed in Christ. I have a short video that I'd like us to watch. Do you guys know there was a middle road? I do want to let you know, I am flapping my wings in my heart. You know, I don't think I'd fly with Jackie, though. You know, I get the honeydew list and say, Babe, you know, hey, I studied it out in the Greek. Not do anything with it. It's amazing how we feel like we can do that with Christ, though. So how do we become clothed in Christ? How do we make sure that we're not on the middle road, which isn't leading anywhere, but on the narrow path that will get us to heaven? Let's take a look at John 3 and verse 1. John 3 verse 1. I personally believe this is one of the most loaded chapters in the Bible. And you really don't need anything more than this to sit down with someone and just read this chapter and you can help them understand how to come to Christ. In John 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time to his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from. Or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And this is right here. This is the thing that is a problem or can be a problem and challenge for each and every one of us. He's one of Israel's teachers. He had heard the prophecies. He had read them himself. Publicly. Yet Jesus comes and says, this is what you've got to do. And all of a sudden it becomes this incredibly huge mystery as to what we're called to. He says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? 
I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still your people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And you know this reference here to the snake being lifted up in the desert. The Jews had become rebellious who were grumbling and complaining about their lot in life after being led out of slavery. But they had forgotten already what they had transitioned from. So there was this, these vipers that made it into the camp that were venomous. People were dying left and right. And God gave Moses direction to make a bronze snake, put it on a post, and lift it up. And for those that turned and looked at it, they would be healed. Now, for those individuals, if they had just believed in their heart that what was being said was true but didn't look, would they have been healed? No, because that was the direction that God gave. And Jesus Christ, this was a symbol of what would take place with Christ. It's kind of interesting with that same bronze snake on a pole, later on it actually became something that the Jews were praying to and worshiping like the Azra poles. One of the prophets of God had it destroyed because, you know, we can get caught up in traditions like that too. All of a sudden, something else, something other than Christ becomes the focus. Moving on in verse 15. It says that everyone who believes in Him may be lifted up, or excuse me, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is so awesome. That is such an incredible passage. But it's not the only part of this chapter. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Clothed in guilt. That's what we are. That's who we can be without Christ. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So how do we throw off the clothes of guilt? How do we become clothed in Christ? We need to be born again. We need to be obedient to Christ. I'm going to uh, be closing out in uh, a passage out of the book of Luke in a minute here. In Luke 22, we have the beginning of the Passion account, a lot of which Martine referenced here earlier today. And just knowing what Jesus had to go through, the betrayal of Judas, the emotional trauma, knowing that he was going to be separated from God once he took on our sins and died for those sins, the transition into the denial of Peter, from there, the physical beatings, the abuse, the mocking, all of those things. And the thing that's so awesome about today is it culminated in a resurrection from the dead for Christ so that we can have life as well. And after the resurrection, Jesus comes and He appears to His men. In Luke 24, in verse 46, go ahead and read that. It says, Jesus told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, 
and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name to, in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when He had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, He lifted up His hands and He blessed them. He lets them know that it's going to start on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And we had all the believers together. This is 50 days after the Passover, the day that Jesus died. And why were the Jews from all nations there celebrating? What was Pentecost? What was taking place on that day? Well, the day of Pentecost, it's a celebration of three things. First one is it's a celebration of first fruits, or the harvest of the fields. It takes place in spring. It was a time where the people, secondarily here, were to thank God for the deliverance that took place out of slavery. And then the final thing that they're celebrating out of this period of time was the giving of the law that took place on Mount Sinai, where the Jews became a great nation, totally unified, where Moses was given the law. That was about 50 days after the Exodus, so that they knew what they had to do to live in accordance with what God had established. And the thing that's so cool about it is the similarities we have on the day of Pentecost at Jesus' time. Think about Acts 2 for a minute here. Jews from all over the world. And what do we see come out of Pentecost? The first fruits were born. The church itself and the first harvest of souls, which we're going to take a look at in a minute, a minute here. It was a new beginning. Men and women being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of interesting as this initially took place 50 days after the Exodus, this took place 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, and as it was with the Exodus, the deliverance from slavery... Through that obedience to God, Jesus came to deliver and free men from the enslavement of this world, from sin, from death, and from hell. And then we also have this giving of a new covenant, which, as the law was established 50 days after the exodus with Moses, 50 days after Jesus died, we see this new covenant being put into place, replacing the old covenant, the birth of the church, the new people of God, people who truly had come to know God, and now would be sealed through the waters of baptism and known by God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Acts 2, verse 36. Acts 2, verse 36 reads, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are fall off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. New life, new creation, brand new wardrobe clothed in Christ. Right now I'm going to have my wife Jacqueline come out. And she's got a couple of things that she's going to share, and then we'll close out in Galatians 3. In John 3 and Acts 2, for me today... 
23 years I've been walking with Jesus, since I've been a disciple um, of Jesus. And in the brief time I have, I just want to share two things with you. Um, one, how I became clothed in Christ, and then what's happened since. And in 1990, um, I was invited to an in-home, informal Bible discussion, and I went there to steal the nanny. Of the people that had invited me, and um, that's a whole nother talk. I can't go through. <laughs> it's the truth. It's true. You can't make this stuff up. Um, and at the Bible discussion, the nanny, uh, uh, no habla inglés, and me, no habla español. So, I wasn't able to even talk to her and offer her what I wanted to offer her to see her. And uh, so I was stuck. <laughs> yeah, I was stuck, trapped at this Bible discussion group. And, um, but at this, this uh, Bible discussion group, uh, and I knew no one, I was incredibly uncomfortable, and I remember my friends going, you are going to get so zapped by God. I, I, look, he doesn't care why I don't it doesn't really matter. And, um, but anyway, but what happened is the word of God was open, and I wish I could say that at that moment, great humility came upon me, and I surrendered. Uh, instantaneously, but that didn't happen. Instead, something that was read and something that was said, it pricked my pride. And uh, I wanted to see what else was going on in this Bible that I didn't know about or that I had been misinformed about. And so I went to church, and there I saw something different. I felt something different. And even though I didn't know what it was, I couldn't pinpoint it. I didn't really understand, but I knew it was different. It just felt different. And I saw things there that I hadn't seen. Uh, I was really impacted. I saw uh, people of all nations, uh, relationships. The Bible was really preached. There was no fluff and stuff, and I could respect that. It was relevant. And, you know, although I was sure somebody had called the preacher and told him all my sins because I felt like he was preaching right at me, that didn't happen, but it felt like that, that I was being spoken to personally. And Steve and I, at that point, started looking at the Bible with some people in the church, and we started to see the Word of God uh, what it said for ourselves, not what somebody else told us, not what Mima said or, you know, uh, anyone else, but really what God said. And on December 10th, Steve was baptized, and then he turned around and baptized me. And a year later, we went into the full-time ministry. I was not voted most likely to be in the ministry. Me either. That, too, is a whole other talk. Um, but if I have learned anything about God in the last 22 years is that he has an incredibly huge sense of humor. And, um, you know, so here we are 22 years later, married nearly 29 years, um, closer than we've ever been. We're best friends. We're not just lovers, but we're best friends, and we have fun. We have a real deep uh, relationships with people in the church. We have us calling us higher, what I would call friendships. Uh, we have great support and unconditional love here in the church. We have two grown, incredible kids Stephen and Shay. And if it wasn't for God and us being clothed in Christ all those years ago and all the impact that his plan for us has had in our lives, I think our lives would look a lot different today. 22 years ago, the only hope for our broken marriage and for our kids uh, was God. And we didn't even know it because we were busy building our lives. Uh, our little empire. We couldn't see past ourselves. And honestly, we weren't looking for God. It's not like we fell on hard times or, 
you know, sometimes you hear these stories and that's great. Sometimes God has to do that with some of us. But we weren't even like in the realm of trying to seek God. I mean, I went to Bible talk to steal the nanny. That shows you how far, uh, you know, we had gone. But anyway, and things were going relatively well and we saw no need for God in our lives. And Steve was agnostic and I was incredibly unimpressed with God and with Jesus, what I had known of them. And I wish I could say that the point that I was clothed in Christ, that life has been easy and great and smooth, just easy sailing, and there's been no bumps, but that hasn't been the case either. Uh, during these past 22 years, there have been great times of victory and great times of growth, um, but there's also been very dark and challenging times. And I've experienced my greatest joys and rewards uh, since being a disciple, but I've also experienced the greatest pain and sorrow of my times since I've been a disciple. And at times I wanted to give up and just sit down and say, I'm done, Lord, you've asked too much and I can't do this. And, you know, times I wanted to quit. I couldn't see God working. And uh, when I wondered, you know, if God even cared anymore or had he forgotten about us. And I can't help but wonder now, coming through these years and fighting through things and getting help from our church family and going to the Bible for the answers, I can't help but wonder, what if I had given up when I felt like it? And at this time, I would like to introduce to you some very important people to my life, in my life, and that would be my mom, Joanne Dickens, my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, Susie Brown, and my niece, Taylor Burgess. And, um, yeah, you guys stay right there. And, uh, you know, I prayed for my mom for 1,507 days. And on the 1,508th day, I baptized her into Christ. And I can't help but think, what if I had given up? And then my sister-in-law, Susie, this last year was baptized after 21 years of being, of us being a disciple and, Praying and not pr- I mean, honestly, it's just a huge miracle. I can't even get into the miracle that it is as Susie is here. What if I had given up? And then I think about Taylor, who we started praying about when she was in her mama's belly, my sister, who is also, uh, whom I love very much with all my heart, and she is on her way back, and I'm faithful she'll be restored soon. But I think... What if I had given up? And I have a favorite song of mine by Sarah Groves. And I just want to read a couple of things from it. It says, morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. Season by season, I watch him amazed in awe of the, majest- of the mystery of his perfect ways. I can't remember a trial or a pain he did not recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. This is my anthem. This is my song. The theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion. It knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. And, you know, I don't have all the answers. I mean, as Christians, we're not perfect. As disciples, we're not perfect. I wish I had all the answers. I wish I had the cure. But I do have one answer. And the one answer is that Jesus, with Jesus, and we're clothed in Christ, 
our lives will eventually win out. We might not see it immediately, but our lives will win out because God is faithful. And so again, this year on December 10th, I'll remember and celebrate the door, the day that I was born again, clothed in Christ, and there'll be a prayer of thanksgiving to God for all the promises he has and continues to keep in our lives as we walk close with him. And I will again be reminded that God has been faithful and he will be again. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, guys. I close out here in Galatians 3, verse 22. It says, But the Scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, but that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Where does that take place? The water's baptism. My right index finger, right? My left hand. Can you see my right index finger anymore? And you know, and this is exactly what takes place by being clothed in Christ. At the point in time that we surrender and that we're willing to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. And we understand that the only unfailing love on the face of this planet comes through Christ. And that we'll have the opportunity, as we saw in Zechariah, to, to rest with our friends, to enjoy that peace, that love that can only come through Jesus Christ. And that comes from only one place. And that's through that faith and obedience to Him. Like we saw in the video, there's no middle road. There's only one way to Christ. And as my, my right index finger disappeared and with my hand, as sinners with the guilt of our past and all the other things that have taken place, all that disappears. When God looks at us, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. Clothed in Christ, baptism, new, new birth, new creation, new wardrobe. Basically, we know what this is, right? You go to a grocery store, what does it do? It identifies whatever it's on. If it doesn't have that on it, can they scan it? It's the same way with each and every one of us as Christians. Prior to being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit... We're a can that doesn't have a label. No one can recognize for what's inside it. But by being baptized into Christ, we hit those gates. They scan us. God knows we belong. So we're clothed in Christ. We belong to Him. You know, as I, I look out this morning, there's a number of new faces in the group today. And that's awesome. Glad you're here. But let's make a decision today that if you're not clothed in Christ, you're not even 100% sure exactly what that means in light of what we talked about today. There are people here that can help you with that journey to make sure that you're on the narrow road, not the wide one. No one wants to be on that. And keep in mind, there is no middle road. 
for those of us that are Christians, maybe maybe it's time for a little refresher. And I don't, I don't know about you, when you put those clothes from the washer and the dryer, you know, you put that little softener thing in there, how do, you, how do they come out? Warm, they smell nice. You know, there's nothing better than, than fresh clothes to put on. And each day we can wake up and we can do just that with Jesus Christ if we remember that we did surrender to him as disciples. And that each day we get up and we continue to make him Lord of our lives, we'll have that opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with him, rejoicing about this day that we call Easter. Amen? Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray for the communion. Father, we thank you. I thank you for today, knowing the the significance. It it, it needs to be just an incredible day of celebration uh, with the knowledge that you give us through what took place 2,000 years ago with your son. Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for his blood and body that was given so freely so that we could have a relationship with you that is without guilt, Uh, that we can rejoice in being able to call you Father, that we can rejoice when we enter into prayer with you, that we can rejoice knowing that we'll have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven with you and everyone else that surrenders to you. Father, uh, I love you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. As we uh, take communion, please, let's all give pause to what an incredible God that we worship and the unfailing love that comes only through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.